Hey friend, you're listening to the Devoted Women Podcast. The audio you are about to listen to is a recording from our in-person Bible study meeting and is intended to be listened to after having completed the lesson in your workbook. So for this particular study, you can head on over to amazon.com, search Engaging God's Word Genesis, get your copy, do the work, and then hit play. We are so glad that you have joined us. We're starting in Genesis 37, 1 through 11. And um, <clears throat> I do think that Matthew 5, 10 through 11 is a great verse leading up to um, our time with Joseph starting today and for the rest of our study of Genesis. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they rival and persecute you and say all kind, kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. If that doesn't sum up Joseph's life, I don't know what does. So, um, We'll continue to see this one promise of God play out through the rest of our time together in Genesis. Um, we open tonight in verse 1 with Joseph feeding the flock with his half-brothers and um, Joseph bringing a bad report to his father. Um, we don't know what this bad report is. It does not say, but I do think that we can gather enough information about our brothers and the past and, and know that it, they just did some evil stuff. So we can kind of gather um, a sense of character for our brothers. Um, I believe that, what are you laughing about? Our brothers. Yes, I'm part of the family. Um, I believe that Joseph, though he had flaws, was a righteous young man. I believe he had a moral obligation to report what he witnessed to his father. Um, I think he loved his brothers. I think he didn't want evil for them. And I believe the ongoing actions of these brothers kind of put Joseph in a place where he felt he needed to step in and and do something about it. Now, Tanae and I had this conversation earlier, and she doesn't believe that. She believes, and along with other commentators, that Joseph was more of the tattletale, running back to tell his father the things, and so as I submitted and we review and we, we talk about things and what we're putting down, um, I thought what a really great opportunity to talk about our discussions in small group, our discussions with friends and the Bible. It's okay that I believe Joseph was a stand-up guy and he just was, you know, really was looking out for his brothers and he wanted them to change and he was reporting all this for that reason and for Tanea to think he might have been a spoiled brat that wanted to go and, and tell all. It's okay to have difference of perspective. Um, and she doesn't hate Joseph. 
<laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. But she definitely sees it with a different perspective than what I do. And that's okay. And it's good. And it's beautiful. And it makes Bible conversations fun. And as a small group, what a great opportunity to just hash out some things and be able to debate without getting our feelings hurt or thinking that she's saying, I don't know what I'm talking about because I feel this way or vice versa. You know, we should be able to have these talks. They're good. We should have them. Um, and we're going to see several times in this, uh, in these two chapters tonight, this comes about two or three times, um, where you could go either way and it would be fine. So if they're not doctrinal, if they're not salvation issues, if have some fun and talk about the Bible, don't be so serious, everybody. So, um, now that we've decided that Tanea did not know what she was talking about, and then I was right, <laughs> let's move on. Um, so regardless of what you decide, or if I'm wrong or if you're right, um, we all can acknowledge this dysfunction in this family. Um, we understand that once again, the issue of favoritism is a, pro a problem for all of our characters. First, Jacob favored his second wife, Rachel, and um, now, do we all remember what that nightmare played out to be? But now we see Rachel's first child clearly being acknowledged as the chosen child. Jacob goes as far to present Joseph with a tunic of many colors, um, really driving home to the others that Joseph was favored. So I do want to talk a little more about this coat, this tunic. Um, it's an important to point out, one, that this coat was long to the wrists and to the ankles, making it different to the shorter working coats worn by most. This was a garment of status. Fact two, um, I would say this coat is definitely prophetic to the royal position that Joseph is going to hold in Egypt in the coming chapters. We will see that play out. Um, these coats were made of animal skins. Fun fact, possibly rams and badgers. <laughs> you put on your badger coat, we're going somewhere fancy, Joseph. <laughs> And um, here's what I found that was super interesting. It's possible that the word colors here may or may not literally mean dyed. Um, it did talk a lot about the length and the form of the coat, but um, it, what I read, it, it talked about that being something that maybe dye was something that wouldn't have been very available. Um, in Ezekiel, it brings up that same word. Um, the word is tala, and it means covered with pieces or spotted. So that would indicate that there would be different colors. You know, maybe you had like a spot, spotted piece or a brown or a, but not necessarily like how we would picture color, blues, reds. And I'm not saying that's not an option because of course, they may have been dyed. And if that was, think about how much more expensive, how much more time, how much more favor Joseph would have been to get something that actually had been dipped, dyed, different colors. So um, 
there's also that option. Again, we're talking about there's a lot of options and um, we can land wherever we think we might. Um, again, we see a premature blessing being handed out by Jacob, just like um, his father Isaac had done with Esau before his time. He has already given out this blessing. He's already given this coat. That could have been something that could have waited till closer time when he gave, and it maybe wouldn't have created such a crazy dynamic in this family. So no matter which it is, if the coat is colored bright or if it's not, um, the point of the coat is that Jacob is very favored. And when we think that it can't get any worse, Joseph dreams some dreams. So um, Joseph tells the dreams of the sheaves of the field, which by the way, are very significant since um, we're going to see famine and lack of food become a huge part of Joseph's story. Um, but the telling of this dream moves Joseph's brother, brothers into even more hatred for him. And then he doesn't stop there. This time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bow down to Joseph. While we may have to cut Joseph some, flack, some slack in the first telling of the first dream, we do have to ask ourselves, maybe Tanea was right. Maybe he does have a little bit of pride here. Maybe it's ignorance, um, immaturity, whatever you want to chalk it up as, but he's clearly coming and the brothers responded the first time he didn't get a good response the first time so he comes back in and he tells another dream he takes it another um takes it even further and um so he's definitely not perfect we know that about joseph he um None of our characters are perfect. I think that we can be tempted when we read the Bible and God's word and um, compare ourselves to those characters. On one end, we can become very puffed up when we read some of the mistakes. I know some of our characters, the Rachel and Leah um, fiasco, where you compared that to Jerry Springer style craziness, um, which can give us a sense of superiority, right? Like, can you believe that they have gone there and done this? And then we can look at someone like Joseph, where he stays pretty faithful, and we can kind of compare ourselves and come up with some shame. Maybe I'm not measuring up, maybe I'm not good, but we have to remember that all of our characters are human, they're all flawed, um, they're all going to make mistakes. And I do believe with these dreams, we are experiencing Joseph making some mistakes. So um, did anyone catch in um, verse 11, no, 10, in verse 10, that they mention his mother? Mm -hmm. And we know that from verse um, from chapter 35 that Rachel has passed away. So it is an interesting little fact there. I came, I have two conclusions here. And again, you guys decide. But one is that maybe these chapters aren't quite in chronological order. It is, we've seen that in the past. Um, 
probably the transition point is Genesis 37.2. This is the genealogy of Jacob. This likely ends the record preserved by Jacob himself, who recounted the death of Rachel. And the next line begins the uh, the record preserved by Joseph himself. Um, Like I said, we did see these in Genesis 5, 6, and 25. So that's a possibility. Another one is that um, the moon here signified either Leah or Bilhah, which I don't know why they would throw in Bilhah there. It's weird unless they want to you to think about how she was a surrogate kind of for Rachel and she all that weird stuff happened. And so they're giving her some credit there for for having to take part in all of that. Um, but more than likely, it would have been Leah and that's who he's but it's weird because he specifically says your mother and I so we've got to again decide one or the other which is it we don't know there's no there's no definite answer there so again you have another great opportunity to dig deeper on your own and discuss that with friends later so um We should be careful to note the response to the second dream in verse 11. It says that the brothers envied him, but that his father kept the matter in mind. Jacob rebukes his son, but also he wonders what the dream means. He's, you know, he's putting it to the back of his memory. Um, And I think in chapter 46, when he sees his son again, he'll definitely recount this, this time together. So moving into Genesis 37, 12 through 36. In verse 12, I find myself questioning Jacob's parenting yet again. Just as Tania did last week, we see he is sending Joseph to his brothers. Surely he knows the strife that's been building. He's, I mean, they were in the same room, right? When the dreams were being told. And, um, He sends him anyways because he wants a report. His favorite son, but it's important that he gets a report on what these other boys are doing. Um, Especially after what he saw that they were capable of in Shechem. Um, He is sending his favorite son out just to check on him. Like, what is... Why does he need to do that? Um, But in obedience, we see Joseph travel to Shechem and his brothers aren't there. He should have turned around and come home. (laughs) But we see that Joseph is wandering in the field and a certain man, that's the New King James um, translation there, a certain man, weird wording to me, but whatever, This man approaches him and tells him that he overheard them talking and that they moved on to Dothan. And I'm wondering, does anybody else read that in your conspiracy theorist mind get going? Like, who is this? I want to know more about this man, this certain man. I want to know who it is that is sending Joseph into harm's way. Um, It's irrelevant but I want to know. That's how my brain works. 
So um, Joseph moves forward and travels the extra mileage to check on his family, and the brothers see him from afar. Why do they see him from afar? Because of the coat. Um, if it is colored, of course, that is going to be seen from miles away. But even if it isn't, um, the length alone of the coat would have set him apart from the other people who would have been out um, wandering around after taking directions from some weird man. <laughs> so um, there's something to be said about their plot, they're planning to do evil. Um, Premeditated crimes always get more of a punishment because it shows the character of the criminal. And um, we know that this was a calculated awful act that is about to take place. Let's look at the wording a little closer. They say, look, the dreamer is coming. So we see mockery. Let us kill him and cast him into some pit. They don't even have a specific pit. (laughs) Um, This is a disregard for him as a person completely, not to mention as their brother. And then lastly, we see them say, we will see what comes of his dreams. And there we have a motive to kill, all because he said something they didn't like. And in this moment, we see Reuben step up. He sees an opportunity for himself. Considering that he is the, el- um, he is the eldest and um, he would be responsible for Joseph's safety, he steps up and he stops the plan of murder. But we have to remember what happened back in 3522. Um, Reuben laid with his father's wife, so he probably isn't in the best standing with his father as of now. And so what would he benefit if he was the one to get Joseph, deliver him out of whatever bad plan was going to happen, and bring the prized child back to their father? Um, He definitely would benefit from that happening. So instead of killing Joseph, they strip him of his coat. And um, we know that's what this is all really about. They strip him of his garment and they strip him of his favor. They drop him down into a empty well and they sit um, down to eat a meal. It gives us another um, look into the layers of evil of these brothers or our brothers like I like to call them Um, our book did a really great job having us skip forward to chapter 42 and reading um, Jacob's response Um, it reads the anguish of Joseph's soul and the pleading he made before their brothers as they ate and I know when I we taught this in faith groups it was it that right there hurt my heart so much probably more than any that he's just crying and begging and pleading and they're just eating and ignoring him it really is one of the saddest passages ever so reuben walks away we don't know why 
And um, while he's away, Judah too sees an opportunity, one of gain and profit at his brother's expense. The Ishmaelites are heading to Egypt and they buy Joseph for 20 shekels of silver, which is the going price for a teenage slave. And so here we have a reminder, the mention of the Ishmaelites or Midianites. Um, This is here to remind us yet again of the sibling rivalry that is taking place. Um, When we look back, we remember the other sons born to Abraham, Ishmael born to Hagar and Midian born to Ketera. I don't know how to say her name. Um, So this is a reminder that this is why still all of this is taking place. This is still playing a um, role in our story. So we see Reuben now show up. He's back and um, he's here to save the day, but his ship has sailed and um, he tears his clothes and says the lad is no more but pay attention to the second part. And I, where shall I go? Who is he worried about? He's worried about himself. Again, we see a mention of Joseph's coat and this time it is dipped in blood and brought before Jacob. And they ask, is this your sons? Knowing full and well, they put the object of favoritism before their father and wait to see his reaction. Knowing his favored wife has just died, they without regret make him to believe he has lost the other favored one. Again, just showing us their heartless character. We're going to move forward to Genesis 38. In 38, we see Judah has departed from his father's house and his brothers. Um, Possibly he's feeling regret or shame when his father refuses to be comforted. Um, It made me think of Judas in Matthew 27. After he receives the money for turning Jesus to the religious leaders, um, both men profit, but neither feel good about what they gain um, at someone else's expense. The same is said to be true in our lives. We spend time chasing things to better ourselves only to realize that we've traded something much more important. And I'm talking about like um, careers and those things that we think that we need, the things that um, do give us monetary gain and we spend our lifetimes chasing these things thinking that if we just get more or obtain more, that we're going to be happy only to know that um, we've traded that for something. Time with our children, um, time with Jesus. Um, All to see that we've profited, but it didn't feel us like we thought it would. Just a waste of time. We move forward to see Judah takes a wife, a Canaanite woman, which again would go against the marriage covenant given to them in chapter 24. Um, He marries anyways, and they have three sons. Their first Ur is born. His name means watchful. Onan, his name means strength. 
which is interesting since we're about to see what happens to both of them. And then um, I want to call this one Sheila. <laughs> over and over is totally not Sheila. Um, oh no, how do you say it? Sheila. Sheila or Sheila, as I like to call her. Um, and his name means drawn out of the womb. So the boys grow and Judah takes a wife for Ur. And um, we meet Tamar and we have no um, ethnic identification for Tamar, um, which may mean she was not a Canaanite. Her name does mean palm tree. If you were wondering, um, there may be something very significant there. But um, we see that after they are married, her husband dies um, before any of the kids were born because of his wicked ways. Again, we aren't given any clue into what this was, but considering what we know about the trickle and downward spiral of sin that we have seen in other generations with other characters, um, we can imagine it was as bad or worse than that of his father's and his um, father's brothers. We saw that decline, remember, um, with Cain and how the next generation just was worse. So we can imagine that that would take place here yet again. Um, our book did have us look up Deuteronomy 25, five through six, and we learned about the obligation a surviving brother has to the widow of his brother. He was to marry and provide for, um, provide children for the sake of his brother's bloodline and also for the widow to have um, sons to look after her. Onan did not want to provide children for Tamar because he did not want to pro provide for Tamar's children. But he had no problem fulfilling his own sexual desire, his own needs, and it's gross. <laughs> he literally avoids, as our book worded it in question 18, his responsibility to Tamar. And God killed him because of it. So um, now we see Judah is feeling a little uneasy about giving his second son, or his third son, this would be his last, to Tamar. Um, so she is sent back to her father's home. She has no business being sent back to her father's home. Um, this is so messed up on Judah's part because he was the one that had the authority over Tamar. He was the one that could say who she could marry or remarry um, at all. She didn't get to decide. It's not like nowadays where we just walk out and get remarried if we want. Um, she was under his household and for him to send her away was super messed up. Um, Tamar was treated as if she was dangerous. When in the, when it, we really break it down, it was the evil of the sons that was killing them, but yet she is getting this bad rap. So we see her take matters into her own hands. And um, we know she doesn't want to be a childless widow. We know that in this culture, that was really one of the worst things that could happen to a person. Um, she'd have no right to possessions, to land. Um, 
they had no rights to anything without a male redeemer. So um, Tamar removes her widow's clothes and covers her face with a veil and sets up where she knows Judah will pass. So Tanea pointed out that her Bible stated that um, veils were not only worn by prostitutes, but also by engaged women. So ironic there because she should be an engaged woman. She should um, be um, given to the third son, but she wasn't. So she may have, again, here's another one of those times where you get to decide for yourself, um, put this veil on to go forth to <coughs> confront Judah. She knew he would be there. Um, maybe she's tired of sitting at home waiting around. This son has grown. There's no reason why he hasn't been given to her. Um, she's putting the veil on. She's setting herself up to have a confrontation with him. Or um, the more known part, um, the more known side um, was she does dress as a prostitute and um, she is going to take advantage of Judah's immoral character knowing that he would fall for this scheme. So again, you get to decide um, what you think might have gone down there. Um, either way, we know Tamar is not the bad guy in the story. She has done nothing wrong and Judah really is the one doing wrong. So um, Tamar asks what payment Judah will give her and look at the word play there. She should have been given a husband and he proposes to give her a goat. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's the best ever. What will you give me? No, I'll give you a goat. So um, Tamar requires his very personal belongings be left behind um, because he does not have this goat with him, right, to leave. Um, his signet and cord and staff. These were like having him leave his driver's license. Um, Judah later sends a friend with a goat to pay for this little transaction, and there is no prostitute to be found. Can you imagine? He is panicking. <laughs> she has his driver's license. <laughs> um, so he tries to sweep it all under the rug quickly, cover it up. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And then um, Tamar winds up pregnant with twins. It's not time yet, but I had to say it. Not just one baby. She's got two of your babies. Um, so we see Judah calls for her to be burned, but he is actually the one to get burned. <laughs> Tamar pulls out his driver's license, and I really believe Judah is humbled in this moment. The next time we see this man, he will have a different demeanor, a different character completely. The babies are born. One is Perez bursting forth, and one is Ra donning or shining is the meaning of his name. And we see Judah 
um, Tamar and Perez will go on to be mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ, once again proving that God's plan comes to pass no matter how crazy the circumstances are. So how do both of our stories fit together and what do they have in common? I'm going to say self. Everyone in our two stories was looking out for numero uno. Most of our characters had one person in mind today, and that was themselves. We see Jacob put his favoritism and his early, not secret, but early blessing on Joseph before all of the children. Joseph told his dreams without regard to the others. Reuben put his own agenda ahead of actually saving Joseph. Judah put profiting before doing what was right. The brothers, where do we even start? The rest of them. Um, but they put proving their point and getting rid of Joseph before their father's feelings. Onan put his physical gross needs and desires before Tamar and what she needed to survive. Judah refuses to do what is right for Tamar and sends her away to live an awful life. And Tamar takes matters into her own hands and uses to deceit to, regardless of why she does it, it's still deceitful. And um, so all of this, is, this dysfunction and hurt is a byproduct of everyone in our story looking to themselves instead of looking to God. Again, like in chapter 34 with the Dinah incident, um, we see that in, this in, in chapter 38, no mention of God except for when he's killing someone. And even then, um, like we talked earlier before we started, before prayer, in God's perfect sovereignty, he uses everything intended for evil for the good of his people. And um, even when we are flawed, he, is, he remains faithful. So we'll pick up next week as the story of Joseph continues. Let us pray and we will dismiss. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for um, just using it to speak to our hearts. God, I pray that we put ourselves aside, that our focus would be you, that we would just trust you and allow you to move us where you have for us. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.